You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Well, the exciting guest we have on our show tonight is Brother Calvin Nellums, and I'll tell you a little bit about Calvin. First of all, Calvin, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir, man. It it is a pleasure to have you on the show, especially with what it is that you currently do and who you are. So, Brother Calvin is from the N.O. Yes. New Orleans, New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, first of all, let's talk. First, you may not have known, mm-hmm. or I don't know if I've ever shared, but I have family that lives in New Orleans. Okay, which, like yeah. which ward? Well, listen, I don't know about all the wards <laughs> and all of those things, but I know they were from the N.O. There we go. Yeah, and uh, I have family that lived in Baton Rouge, hey. Baton Rouge. And uh, Alexandria. There you go. Yep. Yeah. So yep. yeah, you can tell I know. I got. I, I at least no, got the Alexandria. Cities, right? You got the Alexandria. If you could give me Alexandria Streetport, Lake Charles, I know you probably got some kin down there. And for man, sure. listen, the scariest experience <laughs> that I had ever, I think, to date in life. What? So we had to travel uh, in a Dodge Omni. You know what a Dodge Omni is? No. It's what's like that? a little. It's a, a tiny little car. Okay. Okay. And it, it has. It's so tiny that the trunk was a hatchback. Okay. okay, and we had to travel the causeway. Uh huh. Yeah, in this Dodge Omni. So you've been, if you've ever been on the causeway, you know that wind is blowing both directions. For sure, for sure. And it's almost like you could get out of the car and <laughs> smack the water, uh-huh. depending on how you know the water levels at that time. Yeah, yeah. So man, we're yeah, traveling. Yeah. I'm a little kid. We're traveling on the causeway. I can feel the wind like rocking our car from side to side. And literally, it feels like you're getting ready to be pushed off into the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what the causeway is the largest or the longest bridge in America, right? Oh my gosh, you talking about? Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. You talking about the uh, the bridge that connects between uh, Baton Rouge and New, New Orleans, yeah. and it has that all that water. All that it. water. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the bridge that actually got flooded when the, uh, when Katrina happened. So when Katrina happened, the causeway was completely underwater. So. When we evacuated, we had to evacuate through the Lake Charles route. So instead of it, us getting two hours to get to Mobile, it took us five hours because the whole causeway. I was like, causeway? I was like, duh. I know exactly what you talk about for sure. Yeah, man. Yeah, so. Causeway, crazy. Yeah, man. And uh, again, man, to all of those who <laughs> uh, are still recovering from Katrina, yes. we, we show a lot of love to you all. And, um, you know, we understand that is part of that drawing board experience that nobody expects to have to relocate. Uh, to have family, you know, be hit that way. Yeah. But, you know, we do know that um, that all of those things and all those life experiences that they in some way, shape, form, or fashion uh, equip us to be able to help other people. <sighs> there you go. It's the only way, man. It's the only way. <sighs> man, yeah, I'm sorry. I got all you emotional just thinking about that. Yeah, man. It's, it's crazy. Like, I remember when uh, about five, no, seven years after Katrina, I was at a university doing an internship. And I saw people on the sidewalk that were homeless, and they were homeless because of Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Like, five years. They was still out of place. No, like, so, yeah, anybody, you know, if you went through Hurricane Katrina or still going through the issues of Hurricane Katrina, understand that, you know, you got a brother right here that is representing anything. Anything I say, anything I write down, always start off with 504 because that is my city. Um, I love my city. 
And you know, if you if you know if you bought that life, that know the life, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so yeah, man, all love to you all. Absolutely, and I'll tell you how New Orleans my cousins are. Okay, New Orleans, okay. yeah, they do. I'm gonna tell you how New Orleans they are, and then we'll we'll move on. How many times they say you heard me? So they say you heard me, boy. They say Dre. They say Dre, I love you, boy. They say you know you're doing good, boy. Uh-huh. That's what they say. They say, yeah. man, you know when you're up there in Detroit, man, you represent good now. You know you you respect your you respect your elders. You do what you got to do, boy. You know. That's what I'm saying, Dre. You know? Dre, yeah, that's, what they, that's, that's exactly how they talk to my cousin, oh my Sean, if he's listening. My cousin, you know, he got all gold, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he got an S on the front tooth. He got an S shape on the front tooth. It's so, yeah, real, shout out to my cousins out there Man, uh, that's from New Orleans. You, my cousin, Sean, my cousin, Chris, Katie, uh, my cousin, Dwayne, who lived down there for a while, my aunt, Pat. And uh, my cousin Chantel, who was actually born in New Orleans. So, yeah, that's my connection to New Orleans. But then you happen to move to one of my favorite, when I tell you my favorite cities in the entire United States, you move to Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. Yeah, man. Yeah, D.C., yeah, Maryland. Man. Then, you know, my family, actually, my dad's side of the family, the Ebrons, the McKeevers, mm-hmm. uh, they are all up and down the East Coast. So, like, mm. uh, Baltimore, um, D.C., Delaware. Yeah. Philly, okay. Like, that's where like all my people live. So you happen to, you know, of course we got family, but yeah. uh, from where my first cousins lived, uh-huh. which was New Orleans, to now where my dad's side of the family lived, DC. Tell me about that DC experience. Man, we might be cousins, man. All we these might connections, be. Yeah. man. Man, the DC experience really was just it was like a complete flip over. Um, you know, in Northern Virginia, D, uh, Detroit, uh, excuse me, Detroit, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, the education is just like the best in the country. Um, I, I can honestly tell you that. Um, and my 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 experience going there, my my how can I say? Because when we was in New Orleans, we was there for two weeks. Like we stayed there after Katrina. And then the only reason why I got to D.C. is because a month prior to Katrina, I met my cousins in a family reunion for the first time ever. Oh, wow. Right. So these are people that I just met that live in D.C. Right. Right. So I meet them. Oh, Marcus, Sonny, Brenda. I love. Oh, my. Nice to meet you all. I never knew I had cousins in Washington, D.C. What is Washington, D.C.? It's the capital. Duh. But, you know, what is Annandale, Virginia? I don't know what that is. Okay. Um, And so I don't know what that is. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so like when when Katrina happened two weeks prior, my mom was like, you got to go to school. You got to go to school. I don't know how I'm going to get you in school, but you got to go to school. You're not going to be out of school just because, you know, all this is happening. We got to figure it out. Call my cousin Sonny up. Call my cousin Brent up. Can Calvin just stay there for six months? Go to Northern Virginia and just you know, just go to high school just so you can be in school, Ebron. Yes, just so you can be in school. My mom tears crying down her eyes. Call. I remember it. Crazy man. And so you could I be, got so there. you could be in school just so I can be so in that school. your future wouldn't be impacted just because there was tragedy. And once I moved, she came with, and I never went back. Awesome. So yeah, you went to Norfolk State. Norfolk. Right? All right, shout out to Norfolk. Everybody that's listening in from Norfolk, uh, you have one of your alums in the building. Let's go. Behold the green and go. All right, yes, sir. And so um, we're going to Norfolk. Uh, tell me about that experience. Like, how did that, did it Did it open your eyes at all? Did it further, like, ingrain, like, the values that you that you held near and dear to you? Like, tell me about that. So it's, it's interesting, you know, we're talking about, like, my, 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 my manifestation from New Orleans to D.C. to Norfolk, you know? And then I think really what the topic of the conversation is definitely going to be about is about culture, right? Yes, sir. And so when you're talking about culture, it's how we do business. How we do business in New Orleans is different. How we do business in Virginia is different. How we do business in Norfolk. 
that is a bunch of conflict. So imagine me having to learn like all those different type of cultures just so I can navigate. Just Absolutely. so I can survive. You know what I'm saying? So when I got to Norfolk, they looking at me like, oh, you a black brother. You not from New Orleans because you lost your accent because you was in Virginia for like four years. Man, you soft, you know. So the first day of college, first day of college, I got in a fight. First day of college, man. The first day of college, you first got in a fight. First day what? of college. Okay. You, but you had, you had to show and prove that you wasn't soft. Yeah, it was more just like understanding that I'm in a different environment and right. that in order for me to survive in this environment because I'm going to graduate. Yes, sir. You know, I got a black eye. I got a busted lip. First day of school, I'm thinking about all the girls I'm going to see. I got to show through <laughs> college with a, you know. Right. In my head, I'm like, you know, uh, I, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm figure out how to navigate. I'm going to learn the culture. I'm going to embrace the culture. I'm going to accept the culture. I'm going to be in the culture. I'm going to learn the lingo. I'm going I'm to figure, figure out a way to be respected and accepted, and I'm going to win it here. You know what I'm saying? I did, you know, and I love everybody in Norfolk. Norfolk. Man, Norfolk taught me everything. Norfolk taught me how to love music. Norfolk is where I met my wife. You know, Norfolk is where my in-laws live. You know, Norfolk, shoot, man. So many, so many stories in Norfolk. I love 757. I go there every day, almost every year. You know, obviously I got an alumni association here. Yeah, but yeah, for sure, man. Norfolk. All right. So what's powerful, though, let's unpack that, though. So yeah. living in, when you talked about culture, mm-hmm. uh, you had a choice to make at that point. Um, particularly, were you going to just... Uh, not so much relinquish your culture mm-hmm. uh, and who you were and what you grew up with and those values because coming from New Orleans and then moving to D.C. and then going to Norfolk, it, it actually diversified your experience. But one of the things that, that was powerful with, that you shared, though, is that you said the culture is the way we do business. Yes. And what you were committed to doing, though, was learning how business was done in that environment, there you go. mastering it, yes. and then conquering it. Yeah. Where yeah. so many, and we're talking about black males in education and reshaping the narrative and debunking the myths and yep. empowering youth. So many of our youth do not go into new environments yes. to learn how business is done yes. in that environment, yes. but yet will expect that that environment will at some way yield its culture to their culture. Yeah. And then get upset when things aren't working. Exactly. Like, it's mutual. It is. It's no superiority, inferiority thing. It's none of that. Okay. It's all mutual. It should always be mutual when you're meeting someone that is completely different from you, even if you got more money than them. You should always accept them as an equal and, like, look at them like you can learn something from them. I learned how to talk from this guy named Safari, right? Listen, man. I went... Oh, Sorry. I went through like a point in college where I, w- I went through my rebel mode um, and I was like, give everything to the world. It was around 2012. So, you know, this is my conspiracy mindset. Right. I had this homeless guy, homeless dude. He was around my age. His name was Safari. This guy had the best rhetoric I can ever imagine. You talking about New Orleans people talking. Okay. Imagine like that mixed with a Norfolk style mixed with like just the best just just spitting the way you can talk. When he talked, he told a story. You just can imagine it. Just amazing. Safari, man. But. And, and, like, what I would do with, like, Safari, I would, like, give him food. I would let him sleep in my dorm because, like, he was a real dude. And I was just about giving myself to people, like, so much so much at a time. I could easily been, like, you know, you know, you homeless. You know, I could easily been, like, you know, you, 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 you're cast out, you know. But I didn't. I embraced him because I knew that he had something very special that would organize people. I knew that he had something that was very special that would get people to understand that there's value in people that don't have it. And what I learned from him, I learned how to talk from him. I learned how to speak from him. I learned how to talk with passion from him. And ever since he, you know, left all my life and, you know, God bless him, you know, I was able to just, whenever I talk, I can gravitate people, get people's attention. And I got it from Brother Safari because I, I it was a mutual thing. 
Right. Yeah. So you acknowledged his, the power of his humanity. Yes. And it allowed a relationship to occur. I was sharing before you came on uh, that before we can ever change or shape a culture or, you know, people going to these realms of idealism, mm-hmm. before you can do that, you have to connect first. Yes. And so me listening to that story or what you're sharing is that you connected with Safari based upon your need at that moment to just share and give yourself and then you were able to learn or or garner some skills from him yes. that have just impacted your journey, not just as an educator, but as a man. Yes, as a man, definitely as a man. Awesome. So let, let's talk about now. Okay, so again, to Norfolk, uh, Calvin, you have created a uh, your alumni association for Norfolk, yeah, right? Yeah. So for Norfolk's sake, anybody listening that knows someone who graduated from Norfolk and you're now in the Detroit metro area and they're looking to reconnect with somebody who can identify with those experiences yeah. at Norfolk, shout out Calvin. Calvin, where can they reach you, brother? Uh, they can reach me at uh, Nellum Calvin at gmail.com, or you can reach at us on our Facebook page, uh, NSU Alumni Detroit uh, Alumni Association, or you can catch us on the NSU Network if you, you know, you went into went to NSU, you know what I'm talking about, the NSU network. Um, but yeah, we're just all about providing, you know, uh, Detroit scholars, you know, who, not just 3.0, we want all scholars, but we really want scholars who can handle the rigor and send them to Norfolk State so they can graduate and come back to Detroit, you know? And so that's really like our mission. So provide them financial aid, excuse me, like, yeah, financial aid, uh, care packages, um, uh, mentorship. Uh, we have about 13 scholars currently right now and through the help of the Midnight Golf Program, you know, the Midnight I Golf do, Program? I'm, I'm well aware. Yeah, Winston Coffee. that man is amazing. Um, he He's the reason why we got kids there. Um, and so shout out to him. Uh, yeah, and we're just all about just, you know, letting, the, you know, green and gold bleed a little bit in this, you know, Detroit area you know it's cold but you know we we like it up here a little bit okay yeah so shout out to norfolk and one thing calvin as we i I just want to as we're chronicling your experience so from new orleans to dc and the maryland virginia area then you went to norfolk and you graduated with honors in physics wait a minute let's shout you out you graduated (laughs) with honors in physics I remember getting my physics physics class in high school, yeah. and because I was just academically competitive, mm-hmm. I had to yeah. you know get an A. But yeah. I have to tell you, uh, I was not one uh, that enjoyed that experience. <laughs> so let's say you graduated with honors in physics. Got to shout you out, Thank you. and then you got accepted into the Woodrow Wilson Teaching Fellowship Foundation. Yes, and you went from with Woodrow Wilson uh, Teaching Fellowship Foundation. You went to the master's program in science and majored in career uh, changers, all Mm -hmm. right? So then you graduated from Wayne State with your master's in education of art, Mm -hmm. and then now you've been teaching physics and science technology or STEM, Mm -hmm. science, technology, engineering, and math uh, for the last four years in the Detroit metro area. Here's what's powerful, what's impacting me about just those, the few moments that we've shared here is that uh, I have been able to see how... You've come from in every area you lived. Yeah, it's been a strong what what they want to talk about. Whether they want to call it the hood, yeah. Whether they want to call it urban population, yeah. Whether they want to talk about urban sprawl or however they want to to talk about it, yeah. But there has been uh, a group of disenfranchised people who have learned to take um, some of the little what they have and produce. As Chris Emden will say, mm-hmm. what rainbows yeah. in the projects, right? There you go. And there so, you go. Uh, 
there is beauty mm-hmm. uh, in those moments. So when I think about like the value that you bring to the youth in your classroom every day mm-hmm. is that you understand how to overcome struggle and that you've connected to a strong uh, support team through your parent, through your mom that says, even though we're experiencing this, your education is a priority. There you go, man. You were, you were really good with words, man. Like, Listen, so, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm learning in this moment. Like, this is, like, I would love to put this in a book. Put like, it with a foreword. Like, could you, could you picture that? Like, I think about that. Like, could you imagine? And I'm just envisioning, uh, like, the experience of you looking into your mom's eyes yeah. and her knowing as much as she loved you in this moment. I'm going to allow you to leave, quote unquote, my safety net to watch this, to go to the home of someone you just met, but you're connected to. Yes. Right. Yes. And so how many opportunities are our parents afraid to release our children to because you don't have a deep, intrinsic connection to where they're going? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. My mom is a soldier, man. Yes, sir. Still a soldier working every day, man. I love you, mom. Yeah. So. Looking, looking at that, like I would, I see that almost like it, it always, it's kind of like picturesque, you know, where like I'm picturing that moment. And if it's sensitive, man, I can no, move on. But on, you know, like I'm picturing that moment where you're looking into your mother's eyes yeah. and she's looking back into your eyes and all the sacrifice that has gotten you to this point. She says, I want you to go be successful. And then the passion that that brought to you though. Yeah, man. Yeah. And so like you got a brother that was displaced from, his home city where he grew up in the N.O. Then he goes to the D.C., uh, Virginia, Maryland area and kills it and, and graduates. Then he goes on to Norfolk and graduates with honors in physics. Then he moves to another <laughs> metropolitan area, Detroit, yeah. and he's coming. He's empowering young people. So when I talk about the power of black men in education, we're talking about it not only being culturally relevant, but it talks about a narrative that's playing out in the youth of a younger youth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah man. So when yeah, we talk man. about the if you want to say the streets of Detroit or you want to talk about the hood, whether you west side or east side, mm-hmm. whether you are, you know, living without or barely making it, whether you are surviving or thriving, there's something that you can connect to in Calvin Nellum. And that is the ability to persevere yes. and take this reality that you have and shape it into the future that you want. That's it. That's it. Um, you know, there's beauty in a struggle, as J. Cole said. And okay. the more you struggle, you know, the more you're, you know, I, that my mom used to always say when door one door closed, another one will open, you know, and just understand that, you know, when you struggle, you know, it's a, it's a test from the higher beings trying to make you stronger. You know, they're trying to, you know, get those muscles a little bit stronger. You know, you weigh, you, you pulling up those 50 pounds, but 50 pounds is not enough for us to get through this, you know, trial you about to go through in the near future. So we're going to have to give you 100 pounds and it's going to get a little bit harder. You know, the water going to get a little bit higher, you know, but you have to understand that, you know, you have to learn how to figure it out. And once you figure it out, it's just flowers, you know, it's just it's rainbows. And so that's how I treat everything in life. You know, I really want hard things to happen to me. You know, I, I don't learn from success. I only okay. learn from failure. All right. You know what I'm saying? I only learn from failing and really, really humbling myself. I remember when I was taking the differential equation class. Okay. So imagine, like. Yeah, no, I told, <laughs> I, I told you about that experience. I, yeah. I'm taking the differential equation class, and shout out to Dr. Lance. Uh, she is a PhD professor from uh, Auburn University. She got her degree in differential equations, and she was my differential equations teacher. My first differential equation test, guess what score I got? Tell me. 13 out of 100. Okay. All 13 right. out of 100. So we had a 13%. 13%. Okay. I walked up to her. I showed her my score, and I asked her, 
do you think I'll be able to compete not only with the Norfolk State kids, with the ODU kids? ODU is like the, how can I say, the Michigan to Wayne State in Norfolk area. Okay. Will I be able to commit to uh, compete with the Virginia Tech kids? Do you think that? And she told me no. Wow. How did you respond? I worked my butt off and I got a B plus in that class. Let's go. Differential equation. Differential equation. Differential equation. Differential okay. equations is a third level engineering math course. In order for you to become like a, how can I say, get into like your, uh, so your really deep 500 level courses, if you want to be engineer, physicist, mathematician, you have to take the DFEQ. That's what they call it. You have to take DFEQ. If you can't take DFEQ, you can take the higher level like quantum mechanics. You can't take uh, calculus. You can take calculus four, but you can't take like the higher level um, uh, courses that require like damping and, and like you have to pass that class. Right. And I passed it with B plus. And that's because she told me that because I needed to hear that. I needed to hear somebody tell me I couldn't do it. Right. And then it was. It, it ignited that fire yeah, or that passion into yeah. you to go ahead and get it done. So here's the major question I used to ask. It was part of a, you know, when we got ready to interview teachers who were coming to teach at a school. Yeah. Why education? I mean, because if you don't have education, you're going to keep making the same mistakes that you had in the history. You know, if you're not educated, you're going to keep eating the same food that's been killing your people for a long time. If you're not educated, you know, you first of all, let's differentiate between education and schooling. Okay, let's There's do a it. difference between education and schooling. Schooling is when you just learn something, you get a grade for it. Education is learning tools so you can navigate through life so you can survive. Right. Now, you know, Cornell West talks about paideia. Oh, what's that? Yeah, so paideia is that deep critical thinking yeah. that moves you not just into information but into application uh-huh. it is the sharpening of ideas it is the exchange of thought it is co-generating yeah. ideas yeah. Yeah. and being able to work with people and it produces within you an enriched culture of those exactly. who are intellectually sophisticated yeah for sure for mm-hmm. sure you there is an interdependence like uh stephen crowley would say like okay. we have three type of people we have dependent people and we have independent people then we have people that get into interdependence and he says that um in in order for us to get an ultimate proactivity or be be at a highest uh, level of success or higher level of working, we have to understand that we have to move from independence to interdependence where we work with people. We help each other. We understand that uh, working smarter is uh, better than working harder all the time. You know what I'm saying? It's power in numbers. And so we have to, you know, understand that for sure. And if sure. we translated that or we try to simplify it, it would really just be the result of a healthy community. Yeah. Oh. Economy, yeah. man jobs like like at, like if when you're educated like again like going back to what I said if you're educated you you will go you will learn the mistakes that your people made in the past and you prevent yourself from making it so for example I educated myself on health I figured out that my grandma died from cancer okay. I figured out my granddad excuse me my uncle died from cancer why because they smoked Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Also, they had, they ate pork all the time and they ate, like, excuse me, no offense to people that eat pork, but what I'm saying is that they ate food that wasn't clean all the time. And they, that was a habit. And if you go to the South, you know what I'm talking about as far as like soul food, you uh, yeah, know? I do. Um, And so, Reckon, talking about the bacon with the rind on it. Putting bacon on everything. Yeah. Ba- like cooking with lard. Bacon cheeseburgers. Bacon cheeseburgers. You bacon know? steaks. Bacon. <laughs> no. <laughs> bacon ice cream. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I'm educated enough to read that pigs eat everything, that Egyptians used to use pigs for garbage disposal because they eat everything. Yeah. that, it, that these, these are facts. Every religion. Every religion. Every religion. Says you shouldn't eat pig. Yeah, I just have have uh, 
regarded that animal as the filthiest animal. And no yeah. offense to you, E. Pit, but what I'm saying is that I was educated enough to understand that I needed to eat better in order for me to live, so I became a vegetarian. Okay. I became a vegan. Um, you know, and my whole lifestyle changed. And as as that changed, my and my people around me started becoming vegetarians because they realized that I was working smarter, not harder. Okay. And and not to judge people, because listen, you gonna eat what you won't eat, and I'm not gonna look at you crazy. You can eat a bacon cheese and burger from me, and I eat a salad, and we all be all cool. Like it ain't like that. But what I'm saying is, you know, education prevents you from making mistakes that your people made in the past. Yes, sir. I was looking at this quote, uh, and it's one that I live by, and uh, but I'm working on a lot of areas to apply this. Now it says discipline protects your purpose, Ooh. but. Uh, without diving into that, because I could talk about that forever. The heart, Say it again. Yeah, discipline protects your purpose. Okay. And so in areas where yes. you intend to be very purposeful or develop some meaningful interactions, there has to be some order, structure, some discipline. And discipline for in my household is all about teaching. Mm. Uh, discipline in, in the realm where I work with students is not about punishing. It's about teaching. And so if we begin to take the lens of discipline from punishment and it being punitive to now it, it's a teachable learning moment. experience. Yeah, learning experience. I always say it's a teachable moment if moments were teachable, yes. right? Um, but that's why we're here today. So I ask you, Brother Calvin Nellums, why do you teach? I mean, I, I teach because, uh, you know, that's how I felt that I could give to my people. You know, that's how I felt that I could give power to my people by learning some type of content, being an expert at that content and teaching it to them effectively. You know, I felt that if I became an educator, I'll be around a plethora of black people because I teach predominantly black people. You know, I'll be a plethora of scholars. That's it. You know, and my 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 mantra is love, you know, and so if I could. Uh, allow them to to learn love through physics, learn love through STEM and understand that working smarter is better than working harder. And we can understand that we need to work hard in order to be excellent. You know, I could better my people. You know, that's how I felt that. And so every day when I wake up and I'm in front of my class, I'm not only trying to teach them physics, I'm trying to make them love physics. OK, you know, so they can come on my class like I want to be a physicist. You know, I, I, you should have been my teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, I, I, I would, I would make it so engaging where I'll take a rap and I'll, I'll take the content and I'll put it in the rap and then I'll say I'm a physicist lyricist from Emden and I'll say the whole rap in front of the kids, physicist lyricist spitting this ridiculousness. So when is these lyrics I dismiss Emden? When kids see that. They they not only look at me as like a, a educator, they look at me as like, dang man, that's a that's a cool dude. I'm like say, cool. Oh, that's man. like cool. Yeah. Mr. Nellum, you got bars. You got bars. Right. That's exactly what they yeah. would say. They'd be you like, bars. bars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, and so like I why teach? Because like you are a natural leader. If you teach, you are you are a comprehensive, you're a forever learner. You are a sa- you you become a sage eventually. You understand that knowledge is power. You become a staple for your community for people to look up and follow you and be example of. Like think about it. Like s- communities go down because schools go down. Absolutely. Schools goes down because teachers don't teach at schools, or there's not enough teachers to teach the uh, the 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 kids so they can make the score so the school can stay uh, alive. So let, let's talk about that for a minute because there are organizations that have sought to answer that question of there not being enough educators in the classroom for yeah. the growing population of kids, particularly in urban areas in the hood, yeah. which has resulted in 
maybe some people choosing second careers and going into education or some people, you know, going and getting a four year degree, then getting a one year teaching certificate yep. and then coming in with this idea of I'm going to save all of the the, black the poor black babies. <laughs> yeah. And or maybe the poor white children that are in these neighborhoods, but particularly like kind of having like the savior complex, yeah. like I'm going to save these children. Yeah. And uh, so talk to me about uh, more or less when you chose to work in the urban area, mm-hmm. um, the goal was in some ways altruistic to say, you know, it was a deeper connection to your community to say, I have something of value. I'm not only going to learn this, I'm going to become an expert at it. And yeah. you're still practicing to, you know, getting that expertise. And then I'm going to come back and empower you. And organize. This, and organize. Yeah. Organize. I mean, the biggest, and like I'm, I'm talking about, like, you know, specifically for helping impoverished people. Like, I pick, I pick the urban area for a reason. It's because we're not organized. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And so if I am a t- good, effective teacher, I'm obviously organized. I have, I'm consistent. You know what I'm saying? I meet things on a daily basis. Unfortunately, some of our kids don't have organization in their lives. You know what I'm saying? And so Stokely Carmichael said one of the biggest things for wrong with black people is that we're unorganized. And so if I can be a teacher that's organized and consistent and effective, um, I can empower them. Now you're talking about the savior complex. Those are the people that can't differentiate between being pity or compassionate okay being sympathetic versus being empathetic okay you know if you're sympathetic you know you're just trying to understand the kid's perspective but you're not putting yourself in their shoes yeah so if you're empathetic you're putting yourself in their shoes that's good stuff and even if you were a 12 and they were a 10 yes you need to make sure that you learn what it is to walk in their shoes that's it and then when you and then when you understand that you will understand that grades are secondary like like graduating. Wait, wait a minute. So, listen, listen. Wait, listen. I know. Okay. Yeah, I'm about to uh, yeah, say something I, really I, powerful. No, no, that was powerful. But <laughs> I'm, I'm getting ready. I was getting ready to, to say I'm something sorry. about that. No, so no. grades are secondary. But I hear so many people argue with their children <laughs> about, oh my God, you got an F in this grade, or you yeah. got a C. And I have seen on the converse side, children that are in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade, some in high school. Like literally stressing to the point of exhaustion, you know, Yes. because they're trying to get this grade. But I want you to finish that statement, though. Grace or secondary. Like explain that thought. So I I can't remember the guy's name, but he said school. He said schools today kill creativity. Okay, In what way? In what way? So, you know, uh, don't they don't have culture. What, What do you mean? Like they don't have. Excuse me. So, for example. So schools are made to provide kids opportunities so they can work in the job force. But currently right now, and this is the, I believe, the uh, paradigm for a lot of young black youth, they don't see the connection between what's being taught in school and the job that's going to be there for them. Right. And the so relevance. Be, right. And yeah. so, right. So, for example, um, in like 1960, right, those were when that was industrial revolution where we have factory jobs, we have blue collar jobs more than actual like technological jobs. And the schools were made specifically to work like a factory. Yes, they were. Right. Right. So what happened was you had this technological revolution. You had hip hop. You know what I'm saying? You had the music industry. You had the entertainment industry. You had so many things pop up out of this TV. Right. Right. That was like the attraction that the excuse me, no offense, but that wasn't what the kids wanted to be no more. They didn't want to work at the factory. They wanted to be run DMC. 
You feel me? Right. And so because that connection is because that dynamic is there, you have a lot of kids that don't invest in school. And what was your question one more time before I uh, started answering so I can make sure I answer it? Oh, no, we were looking at I was just allowing you to go down this narrative of, um, you know, what is culture? Why aren't kids learning? You know, we're talking about you said right. why grades were secondary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like pretty much right. Your kids are not going to learn something from someone that they don't want to be. Okay. So why? Oh, well, no, I, before I ask you that question. <laughs> so kids don't want to learn something from, from someone, someone they don't want to be. Okay. You have to be inspirational. You have to be. Your competition is LeBron James. Your competition is Kobe Bryant. Your competition are the people that they see on TV and they try to emulate because they have culture. Right. They are culturally, naturally culture people when they walk, when they talk, when they play basketball, when they rap in their clothes. They represent culture. Schools don't represent culture, so kids don't care about it. Right. So here's the argument. I, I'll just, you know. That's why you need to teach yeah. culture. Yeah, no, that's good. That's why you need to teach culture. Or that's why the schools need to reflect that culture. Reflect, reflect the culture. The culture. Or, and. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or just understand that the kids are inherently cultural. Right. Right? They're inherently cultural. So what happens is the teach, and I guess this is the point of what we're about to talk about, is that the classroom kills culture. The schools kill culture because we 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 don't acknowledge our kids' culture. We don't acknowledge what they bring. We don't acknowledge where they're coming from out the hood. We don't acknowledge those things. And we say, you have to leave that at home. You got to bring another one of you inside of here. Right. I was listening to... Uh, Chris Emden, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how these sanitized classrooms. Yeah, and he was talking about in a way, and I may be paraphrasing some of his work, but he was talking about how children are required to go through this cultural cleansing yes. uh, in order to be accepted in this environment. Yes, black skin, white mask. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about um, the fact that African American men only represent two percent. Of the teaching population across America, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And let's talk about an even smaller minority within the minority of men like yourself that yeah. teach the subjects of math and science. Yeah. So how powerful is it, Brother Nellums, for the students that walk into your classroom to see a man that looks like them? And I'll share this point before you talk because I asked some of my coworkers. Yeah. I said, do you all, and I asked some sisters, some very strong sisters, do you believe that it is important for black men to be in education? So unequ- uh, unequivocally, they said, uh, absolutely, yes, they do. And it was unanimous. Yeah. Then I said, why? And one of the sisters said something so powerful to me. They said, when I see a lot of black men together doing something positive to lift our youth it feels like one large group hug. Mm. And to me, the, the, I understand the powerful of hugs and, you know, what happens chemically, you know, and how comfort comes and the, the ability to relax. And, and when you're relaxed, uh, your guards are down, you're able to learn, you're able to express your true self. Relationship occurs where you're able to lower your defenses and you're no longer in survival mode, but you're actually in a teachable state that allows yeah. you to be tractable. Yeah. So now uh, I was uh, I was getting ready to call you doctor, so I'll throw it out there. 
All right. All right. I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to speak life. All right. Because yeah. a Dr. Nellum already. So shout out to Chris, man. I love you, man. Okay. He got his doctorate degree from uh, University of Michigan, higher education. And he's now a pointy for the governor of California for education in California. Shout out to Chris Nellum and Alexis. Love y'all. Okay. Family, shout out. Love you. We're getting ready to have another Dr. Nellum. All right. <laughs> I don't know when he's going to go back and get his doctorate, <laughs> but we're talking about Dr. Calvin Nellum. Lot, man. Thank you. And, uh, how powerful is it for them to see you? Uh, and I know some of the the, the brothers, uh, you know, in the environment that do the work we do. How yeah. powerful is that? So I just I don't like I don't want to debunk that because there's no need to debunk it because there is definitely a need because of the disparity. Okay. I mean, we talking about disparities. We talk about lack of resource. We talk about lack of resource. We talking about it's just the imbalance. You need balance. That's okay. why you need black men. You need balance. Who's going to teach the black males how to conduct themselves on a consistent daily day basis so it can be effective? Right. Who's going to do that? You know what I'm saying? Who's going to be that uh, the the uh, the alternative example of how you should? Who's going to be the alternative example for the young ladies? You know, like they need to see those things. I mean, if you think about it, any functioning culture has that. They have a good amount of females and a good amount of males. Why? Why do you think that? You think that's like just a biological thing? I mean, don't you think that's biological? Like you need that? It's necessary. But if you're talking about black people, that means you're talking about people that have been colonized. When you talk about people that have been colonized, you have to talk about racism. Right? You need black men because why did they decide to take black men out of the black family? Why did they decide to have war on drugs? Why did they decide to start giving uh, uh, employment, excuse me, uh, welfare checks to the to the to the black the black the black female, thus killing the integrity of the black man? Why is it that if you're a black man, you know that if you see a cop, you're gonna start your heart gonna start beating? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I think I ho- hopefully I answered your question, but you you need that first because you need to balance it. And so to debunk it, what I'm trying to say is that from from what I've what I've been learning for the last five years is that just because you're black doesn't mean you can teach kids effectively. Absolutely. Because teaching is an art, teaching yes. is a skill. Um there is so much that goes into equipping young people to discover the power of learning. Yeah. Uh when you cause children uh good teachers uh cause children to, you know, hear information. Mm-hmm. Um Great teachers cause children, and I'm making this as I go, but it's yeah. Not, yeah, but great teachers cause children to learn information, um, but awesome and magnificent teachers yeah. cause children to fall in love with learning. And they have high expectations. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't, if you're a white teacher, if you're an Arab teacher, if you're an Asian teacher, if you're a purple teacher, if you have high expectations, none of what I'm talking about matters. And well, explain that. You say if you have high expectations, high expectations right? will eliminate racism, poverty. It will because if you keep your expectations, your kid, you're consistent. You grade regularly. You keep them engaged regularly. You are you you hold your expectations. Like everything you started with in the beginning of school, you keep it to semester, and then you come back for Christmas break and you keep it till spring. You keep your expectations. Kids will follow through. If you know that you got that one kid that's on the side and they always messing around and you always tell you tell them my expectation is you're not supposed to do that. They understand not to do that. If they do that, what are they expecting you to do? Call them out. If you don't call them out, you're lowering your expectation. You feel me? You have to keep the expectation. So high expectations obliterates anything talking about color or teaching black kids. If you have high expectation, you're good. But when we're talking about culture, though, right? You need to understand that culture is different from race. Okay. 
So, Break it down. So culture, right? Culture has nothing to do with race. Just because you're black doesn't mean you are culturally black. Just because you're black doesn't mean you listen to rap. You feel what I'm saying? Okay. Like we do that as a society. We put culture to the race and we segment and we segregate. Right. Where we have to understand that culture has nothing to do with race. Culture is how we do business. Culture is how we talk. Culture is how we walk. Culture is what we wear. Culture is what we learn. How we learn. How we cook. You feel me? Right. How much education we have, what cars we drive, what video games we play on a regular, what sport we play. You feel me? You can be from a different race and have the same culture, i.e. Eminem. You feel me? Like he was from a different race, but he 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 got accepted in the black culture and he was therefore to navigate in the black culture. So if you are outside of the culture of a different race, you have to be accepted. So I'm gonna say that first. But but yeah, so so understanding that, right? It's culture. It's not race. Understanding culture is like the big thing. When you're talking to kids, you have to try to identify and 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 discover the cultural difference of your black kids. So you can have all black kids, but right. they can be culturally different. Absolutely. You can have all Latino kids, and they be culturally different. You can have Dominican kids. You can have Puerto Rican kids. Latino. You can have Latino. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mexican kids. Mexican. You feel me? A teacher has to be able to know how to talk to each one of those cultures. That's true. So let's break it down. So now let's let's speak to our teacher friends our co-laborers in the vineyard or the field of teaching, um, let's talk to them about this idea of reality pedagogy. Mm-hmm. So I heard you say, talk, saying that culture is is shaped, and I understand that culture is shaped by language, the words we use, how we express ourselves, what we are exposed to on a daily basis, and, of course, education is there to expand the horizon yeah. for children, yeah. to introduce them to new information. When I was young... And this may date me, okay? This might date me a little bit. You're good, bro. They used to say, <laughs> you know, reading books me. allows us to travel the world without leaving where we are. Ooh, yes. And so that was one of the Oof. big things. And, of course, you know, Man. I heard that quote that says, you know, if you want to hide something from a black person, the only place you have to put it is in a book. And yeah. I know you teach science, but when we're talking about expanding this narrative or talking about really exposing our children or our teaching friends to this thing called reality pedagogy. Yeah. Break that down for me. What is reality pedagogy? Where was it birthed? What's the what's the mindset? How does someone begin to live out those the 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 uh, framework of reality pedagogy? Yeah, yeah. So if you're a teacher who I said again, um, you know, you carry with high expectations and you're effective, you're mm-hmm. probably already already doing these practices. You know, nothing's new under the sun. It just gets renamed. You know, Kobe Bryant is Michael Jordan. You feel me? But, oh wait a minute. Hold on. Hold, hold it. Hold it. You hold it, hold it. No, no. We listen. Push, st- push. Stop on the tape. It's the fadeaway, no, no, man. No, when no, he does no. that turnaround fadeaway, no, no. Is, he said it himself. Listen, there's a Kobe foul. said it there himself. There is a foul on the play. Oh my god. Listen, no. Kobe no. didn't say Send it himself. Send me to the line. I'm shooting three. Bro, I remember no, he said it on no, ESPN. No, 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 no. And notice who said it. Michael Jordan didn't say Kobe Bryant. But, Kobe Bryant. Yeah, no, he said it. Right. So it's always the person trying to identify with the high. Okay, I digress. Egyptians Back. had electricity. We have electricity. There we go. All right. So, you know, okay. Okay. All right. So pretty much what I'm nothing new on the sun. And so reality pedagogy is is the reality of your kids, and you're teaching. That's what pedagogy means. You're teaching from the 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 reality lens, the lens of the kids that like. So, excuse me. 
You're teaching from the perspectives of the kid's reality. That's it. And in order for you to do that, you have to engulf yourselves into the kid's reality. Um, so reality pedagogy consists of five C's. The first C is cogenerative dialogue. Cogenerative dialogue is a cogen. It is a cogeneration between you and your kids. And you're talking about how can you make your class better? You're establishing equality. You're establishing a DJ. You're establishing a group. You're establishing affirmations. You're establishing a family first. Okay. Cogenerate, right? What is the problem? You talk about it. My class is boring. Y'all always falling asleep. How can I do to keep y'all from falling asleep? Mr. Nellum, listen, man, we only fall asleep because it's hot. Oh, that's a, that's a... next time, just open a window. All right. That's okay. cogen. You feel me? Yes, All right, that's a cogen. Second C, co-teaching. So now you've talked to your kids about your class. So you're not only going to take that information that your kids told you, the feedback, how to teach this kid better or how to say this better or how to start the, cl- talk, talk, start the class and end the class or how to be more engaging. You, you talk to those kids, right? You got the information. You're not only going to take the information and you're going to facilitate it. They're going to do it. You, so, so you mean that I could share the power in my classroom yes. by allowing a a youth, a child in my room, yeah. a, st- a scholar in my room, yeah. to teach the class, and I just help guide the facilitation. Yes, yes. You just you you become. You, wait, wait, wait. I give children in my classroom, yeah. power. Yes. to instruct their yes. peers. Yes, you giving them power. You okay. gave them the power. You already accepted to your family, and now you are saying, "Listen, fam, you got a role. You gonna help me drive this ship, okay? Because." If I crash, you crash. If you crash, I crash. So we got to figure out this together. I don't know how we going to do it. You don't know how we going to do it, but we going to figure it out. You feel me? And so that's co-teaching. You you are you are becoming the facilitator and the kids become the sage on the stage. And so three things and why you want to do that. First of all, classes are becoming bigger. Okay. So you cannot teach a 60 plus class with just one person. You can't do it. And if you're doing it, you're working harder, not smarter. You mean I, I don't work in education to be mm-hmm. the sage on stage? So I'm sorry, what did you say? I don't work just in education to be the sage on just stage? Just because you got that amazing degree that looks so beautiful and you work so hard to get, just because you know you think that you got it, it's not enough. You, my student debt says that it's, <laughs> it's no no, I'm joking, but I'm 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 making this point to say that sometimes in our classrooms we cause children to actually pay the debt of the sacrifice we made to be there. Repeat that one more time. Sometimes we cause children to pay the debt mm-hmm. of the sacrifices that we made yeah. to be before them. Hit them with that. You don't know what I've been doing. I worked so hard to be here, and y'all just sitting here sleeping. Y'all just sitting here not listening to me. You're talking. You got a conversation. got your phone off. You should respect me. Right. But instead of that, we build a restorative classroom. Yes, restorative. A restorative classroom where we don't do things to children. Mm-hmm. We don't do things for children. No. But we do things with, with children. children. So with we co-generate. We have that co-generative yeah. dialogue. We have, then that leads us into co-teaching yeah. because if we are family, then I make you aware of your role. Yeah. And what's the next C? So the next C is cosmopolitanism. Cosmopolitanism. I yeah. think that's it. Yeah, yeah I believe okay. that's what you said. And, that works. And, and it's, it's, it's nothing that's too esoteric. I really, it's just, it's just the law. It's the principles that we we guide by, you know. So uh, I think a great example of co-teaching and co-generative dialogue is gang culture. Okay. So gang culture is one of the highest influences of young black men. 
because once they become adolescents, their 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 influencers don't become the schools or their parents anymore. It becomes their peer groups. Indeed. You know, it becomes their friends. It becomes the people that looks like them, their age, that talks like them, acts like them. That is their primary influencer. And what happens is when you don't have a cultural school, you lose your kids to gangs because they are culturally competent. They know how to identify. They know how to talk to they the kids. They know how to talk to them. They, they know, know how to inspire They give them, the kid a job. They look on like, a spot. They look like who they want to yes. become. And so that word you just say look like, that's called vicarious social modeling. And that is how co-teaching, uh, that's why it's so amazing. Vicarious, you look, you see yourself in someone else. Social modeling, you're modeling, you're seeing someone that is modeling the education. So, for example, if I have five co-teachers, that means that I've talked to those co-teachers about the content that we're talking about. So, say the content we're trying to program a Vex Clawbot, and we want to turn on four motor controllers. I've already talked to these scholars already a day prior. Right. They know how to do the assignment. And so now when I initiate the assignment, I'm going to have five scholars helping. They're going to have like four kids, and they're going to be help. They're going to teach that. And it's vicarious social modeling because the kids – that are teaching them look exactly like them. And they and because they because they look exactly like them, they're they are, how can I say, they're seeing excuse me, and they're, because they're effective, they're seeing a, an example of what it's like to be a computer scientist in their shoes or a scientist in their shoes. And if they're right and they're getting it right, so for example, a kid helps another kid and that kid helps the kid get the correct answer. They're like, dang, I got that right. Who helped me out? My friend helped me out. Okay, friend. So next time we're in the class, we're going to figure out this problem. You know, you, you're creating like this type of like, uh, you're creating culture. Right. You feel me? Because kids are now helping each other and talking about science because that is the objective and they have no choice because that is their grade if you're a co-teacher, you know? And cosmopolitanism is just the principle. The principles are just the rules that we follow it is the laws that we govern and gang cultures they have rules right that is the that's that's like it's like the unwritten rules and i'm not in gang so i can't really tell you about the rules i'll just be uh joning excuse me fronting but they that, that cosmopolitan is just is just the law it's just a rule it is just the if we break this you hurt not only me you hurt the uh family it's like the constitution okay um in african culture we had an african constitution where we had uh, each each African person, based off their uh, their uh, uh, age, they had a different type of role. So if you was 13 and 17, you were the kids that helped build the houses. If you were below 13, you just, you know, you just stayed in the yard. And then if you were above 17, you were the ones that uh, uh, were in war or the ones that were the leaders. You got married. And if you were plus 30, you went into the sage mode where you're not not only uh, an educator, but you're becoming a sage. And then once you get in that plus 50 age, you're now you become a councilman. Right. But it's all groups. It's all orderly. It's all has laws and principles they buy by that allows this economy and family to thrive for not only just for a moment, but for longevity purposes. But it also it also gives sight toward or gives foresight to my natural progression as a man yes. and where I belong. Yes. So in the work that we oh do, my gosh. Yes. Uh, it is it becomes increasingly apparent that we as black male educators have to show our kids the process. Or if we were talking about how that relates to, um, especially in cosmopolitanism, yeah. uh, we have to give our kids the game. And so when it boils down to it, 
if I don't give you the game or if I don't teach you, I was talking to one of my students this week, and I said, you're so busy talking that mm. when someone gets ready to give you the truth about how to actually do this or an effective way to do it, right. you're only silent long enough to speak again. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yes. And it's nothing wrong with independent thought. Uh, that is um, something that we have, mm-hmm. I believe, within uh, the black excellence that we express. Yeah. Uh, that strength, that sh- to be able to galvanize that strength, to direct that strength. Uh, the Bible says that children are like arrows in the quiver mm. of a mighty soldier. Yes. And so they'll go where you point them. Effortlessly. Yeah. You just have to have clear direction, not just about where you're pointing them, but who do you, what type of arrow do you have in your quiver? Exactly. Yeah. Because you can, you can, how can I say, subconsciously set kids up for failure if you don't know that. You know what I'm saying? If you don't know culturally what they need, you know, you, oh man. It's yeah. Deep. So listen, we, I want you to hit the last two C's. We have yeah. four minutes and then we'll do a wrap. So go ahead. Give me the last two C's. Um, so the, uh, the so, next, so the next C is context. Right. And that's just, you know, you taking artifacts from that kid's, uh, actual like cultural environment. So say for example, kids, they, you know, we got a Coney Island, like right, you know, right next to his house, you know, you, you go to Coney Island on it, like just like a daily basis. If you just want culture to be in your class, or if you just want kids to feel identified in your class, instead of you calling your, uh, lap corner, the lap corner you call it the coney Island corner you know or you you're pretty much you just taking the context of the kids uh from where they live and you're taking those artifacts and you're allowing it to be in your class so you're just so for example a good a good example would be like graffiti okay i, I love street art yeah I love graffiti like art. St- yeah street did, art did you know that i, I was a b-boy yeah you did trailer. you told me you, yeah, you got yeah. the breakdown and everything oh, man, we got yeah. a battle one time man hey man whenever <laughs> listen whenever you ready man whenever man don't give me the <laughs> yo, yo, what? Hey, hey. I tell I tell everybody I'm not dance because I'm from New Orleans. I tell my wife that she be like, you always say that every time you say you not know, do something, you always say because you from New Orleans. You from New Orleans? Yeah, whatever. Right, but, right. But and then the last C is just content, and that's just the that's the subject. But just notice that it starts from cogenerative dialogues to co-teaching, to cosmopolitanism to context to uh content. Content is what we focus on mainly, but we don't focus on building culture first. You have to build culture in your class first if you want to teach the kids content effectively. So the first two weeks of class, before we did anything dealing with physics, science, technology, engineering, math, we 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 built ourselves culturally. I made them rap. I made them do things that that would not because not saying that rapping is of their culture, but what it does, it allows them to be vulnerable. It allows them to be uh, uh how can I say? To, yeah, to be vulnerable allows them to be themselves. It allows them to just express themselves because that's where rap comes from. Comes from hip hop, and hip hop was created because a bunch of kids were being marginalized and they needed something to express themselves. And so it's it's therapeutic. You feel me? Right. And so the first two weeks of class, we just doing a bunch of therapy. Who are you? Who am I? What are my rules? What are your rules? This is how I get down. How you get down? Are we gonna be able to do this for the next six months? I, I'll figure it out in that in those two weeks, right? And then. Once you you got that culture, you can teach the kids anything. Right. I've been able to teach And the, also, watch this, and also learn anything. And learn anything. Yeah, because teaching and learning is a reciprocal exchange. Mm. It, it, oh it's not gosh, one-sided. Yes. So 
Listen, this can go on forever. We're definitely going to have to have Brother Calvin Nellum back on. Uh, my name is Andre Ebron. I am the author of the book, The Drawing Board. And as you heard Calvin talk tonight from his his journey from New Orleans through Katrina to D.C., Maryland, Baltimore area. I mean, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area to him going to Norfolk State to him uh, graduating with honors with physics to him going to the Woodrow Wilson Teaching Fellowship for him coming through and moving to the city of Detroit. Now he's empowering youth in Metro Detroit, teaching them physics and helping them to not just like it but to fall in love with it. He had to go back to the drawing board. There were several (laughs) times where he had to go to the drawing board and realize it is about the future you create, the future that you see. And he understood that his future was not behind him, that his future was not before him, but that his future was within him. I am Andre Ebron. Calvin, tell them where they can find you at. Uh, You can find me at Mr. Nullum on YouTube. You can also find me at Calvin Nullum on Facebook. You can also find me on Instagram on Dr. Nellemizer27. You know, my cousin who do he does he does he is Dr. Nellum, but you you know I am I, trying to be a doctor absolutely one Dr. Nellum. Yeah. I spoke it here first. Again, this is the Drawing Board Podcast. God bless you.